You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. ...and eunuch, an important official in charge of all treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shear is silent, so he did not even open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, excuse me, I lost myself gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both the eunuch and Philip went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's... uh, Let's pray for Landon. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for a pastoral intern who can come in and do the things that Landon has been doing during this time. And I personally want to thank you in front of this congregation for his ministry. I ask you, Lord, now to remove him from this pulpit and allow your spirit to talk in a very powerful way to this, your body of Christ that you have assembled today, both here and online, that, Lord, you may use this sermon to reach us to allow our ears to hear your words, and then to do more importantly, apply your word to our lives. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do and for all that you have done. For it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Amen. Let's be seated at this time. All right. Go ahead. Now I don't even have to pray. That was what I was going to pray some. I'm all good. good. Uh, So, well, how are you guys doing? Good morning. I miss getting to greet you guys this morning, even though it was lovely to be able to finally get to share the platform with Pastor Brett again. I always miss getting to ask you guys how you're doing and, and seeing all of you. I see Connor's here today. Everybody say hi to Connor. Hey, it's good to have you, buddy. Um, I'd pick on him because me and him were, were childhood friends and everything. But what we're here, we're not here to talk about Connor. We're here to talk about why Jesus and when, back when Pastor was planning his time um, for medical leave and everything, we were discussing um, what kind of series I would do when I was pulling my weight here um, in the pulpit. And, and as we did this, we kind of reflected on a few of the conversations that we have had 
Um, and me and Pastor, we have some personal time before we even get into the office. Um, before surgery, we would always go to breakfast and we would um, have conversations about you know, just keeping in touch and making sure that you know I'm on task, he's on task, and talking about different projects, talking about different personal things. Um, lately, this past week, it's been um, I've had the privilege to uh, drive around Pastor as he can't drive his car yet. So I've been able to pick him up, and that's when we have our conversations over some Wawa Blueberry Cobbler Coffee, which is not a plug, but I'm just saying it's free on Tuesdays, and it is amazing. Um, but through all of those conversations... You know, we would talk about all sorts of different things, like why do we do what we do? Why did we go into ministry? What was the most difficult thing that we went through? You know, why do we do it on the corner of 4th Ave and, and North Temple? And as we've been going through those questions, as we've been getting through those deep questions, a central question was always the most interesting, and it was why. Why do you do what you do? Why are you here at Faith Church? Why did you decide to follow Jesus? And, you know, it's no, no confusion why the question why is so important. It's been a question that has been asked throughout the entirety of time. One of the most famous philosophers, Socrates, quoted, the unexamined life is not a life worth living. Now, this guy is an ancient guy. And basically, a philosopher is somebody that somebody would look to and say, like, this is how you should live your life. And I'm not going to go up here and preach Socrates to you. We have a better example on who to look towards. But Socrates has a, an ancient perspective on if you don't examine your life and ask why, when you're looking backwards, when you're living it, and even when you look to the future, why you do what you do, it's not a life worth living. See, when you ask the question why, you understand the purpose and see, this is something that is actually talked about a lot in common culture as well. Uh, modern culture, there's a man named Simon Sneck, um, personal favorite guy of mine. He's an inspirational speaker. Um, but he talked um, about, he actually coined the phrase, what's your why? And um, this phrase has been co-opted. You probably haven't heard this from Simon Sneck. You probably heard it somewhere else. Um, but it's been co-opted by a lot of different places. It's been co-opted by diet plans. I know I've, I've heard pastors say it about Octavia. I've, I've seen it a lot with Weight Watchers, um, but it's also been co-opted with working out plans. It's been co-opted with business plans, meditation plans, anything that you do to better your life. The best question you can ask is, what is your why? Why do you do this? Because it, it really makes you think. When you think about dieting, you think, well, why do I want to lose weight? Is it, is it something serious? You know, some people, their why is not serious. Sometimes it's like, well, I, I want to lose weight because, you know, I could. I could lose a few pounds. Um, and some people say, well, you know, why? And then the converse of that, instead of why diet, is why eat this? Which is often, oftentimes, you know, whys can point you to something that is important. Like, why am I going to eat this? I'm hungry. If I don't eat this, you know, my hands are shaking. So if I don't eat, my hands won't stop shaking and I won't be able to put up the lighting fixture in my house. Um, why, you know, but then there are other times when we're eating, it's like, why am I eating? Well, it's because I'm bored. I'm eating because I'm bored. And it, it always takes me back to that old Grinch movie where it's like, I'm, am I just eating because I'm bored? Or, or am I just eating because, you know, 
I'm sad or am I trying to fill some deeper hole inside of myself? When you ask yourself why, you find the purpose of what you're doing and then that can propel you either forward to continue doing what you're doing or to stop altogether. And so when we are talking about why, I'm not here to preach to you about Weight Watchers, Socrates, or Simon Snack. I'm here to ask you why Jesus. I'm here to ask you why listen to seemingly unimportant callings. Why share the gospel? Why Jesus and, and why not some other God? And see, this is something that I've taken issue with um, with a couple of different people that I've discussed with, a couple of people that I've seen. A lot of Christian people, a lot of churches will tell you that why is, is a question that you should not even ask. How dare you ask God why for anything? You are down here and God is up here. And I would challenge that. I would challenge that because if you don't ask your God why, with the right heart, then I challenge your faith in God. Because if you ask why and you truly believe that God is everything that he says he is, the worst thing that could happen is he'll say, I'll tell you later. But the best thing that he can do is display his glory to you in a way that you have not seen before. It'll help you know him better and to love him more. And see, asking the question why is not challenging God's authority. It's actually getting into a deeper relationship with him. When I ask Pastor Brett, hey, hey, why did you get into ministry? I'm not saying, hey, you don't belong in ministry. I'm saying, I want to get to know you better. I want to see what makes you tick so then I can know you better and love you more. And that's the exact reason. And, and I'm borrowing this phrase, know him better, love him more. It was from the EC conference that we went to. And let me tell you something. This EC conference that I went to, I was completely expecting, as, as any other 21-year-old would expect, I'm going to go here, I'm going to look at a bunch of papers, it's going to be a bunch of paperwork all week, you know, but, you know, hey, I get to go to a hotel, so that's fun. And um, I'm, I'm sure as we presented it to you and we said, you know, we're going to be going over the bylaws and we're going to be going over the amendments, you think, wow, that sounds labor-intensive. But I'm here to tell you that that was a spiritual high for me being there. I'm serious. Going through those amendments, and the reason why is because we went through every single thing inside of our discipline and said, why? Why do we do this? Why is it important that we stand on the word of God for truth? What does it mean, and, and why should we expect God to give us life to the fullest? How can we implement that? And when we ask these why questions, we can know him better, know what his will is better, and we can love him better, love him more. So I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you to ask why as we go through this story that we read. Because asking why is going to teach you to love God better and to love him more. So we're going to start with Acts 8, and it's going to say this. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now I'm going to stop right there. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Atlanta, we just read the first verse. Like nothing even happened yet. Au contraire, right? Why? Ask yourself why. Why did the angel of the Lord say to Philip, Go south down the road, the desert road? That goes to Jerusalem to Gaza. And, and here's the thing, right? I, we don't want to read ourselves too much into the Bible. If we were Philip, we probably wouldn't be asking why. I mean, an angel of the Lord just came down and asked him to do this. So if an angel of the Lord, I don't know if any of y'all have read Ezekiel. 
But if you see how these guys are described in Ezekiel, they are terrifying. I mean, in their natural form, they have like a bunch of spinning wheels with eyes all around them and four different faces. And there's like fire surrounding them. So they're terrifying. But even if they were presented as Gabriel was presented in a more comforting state, in a more human state, you're still going to be either terrified or you're going to fall on your face and, and say to yourself, okay, like God is talking to me. I, I'm like, I'm ready and I'm, I'm willing to listen. And so often when we get God's calls, we're the same way. We're either terrified or, or we're ready to go and we're prepared to experience the glory of God. See, what happens is we start asking why once we're on the desert road. See, this, this verse, it makes a very important point to say it's the road, the desert road. Because it's not a road like a country road where you're driving around, there's a lot to look at. It's boring, it's bland, it's hot. Your feet probably hurt. Your calves are cramping up. And it's in these moments when you're doing something that seems so unimportant that you ask, why does God want me to do this? And for good people, for, for people like Philip, because I would assume that Philip's a, a good person, that curiosity drives them. They say, well, God wouldn't force me to do something so painful and so boring if there wasn't a good reason. So I'm really curious, and that's going to push me forward. But we're not really curious like that. We're very comfortable. And so when anything makes us uncomfortable, our whys start to sound like whines. We say to ourselves, wait, 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 wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. Why does God want me to walk down this desert road? Does, is that really what God told me to do? Because you know, why would he do that? That doesn't make sense to me. You know, I'm, I'm more of a, I mean, one of my spiritual gifts, it's not walking. I'm not a, I'm not a you know, spiritual power jogger or anything like that. So, you know, that, that can't possibly be what he's doing. And, you know, I see myself more of as a mouth of the body of God. I don't really see myself as a leg of the God. Maybe I misheard God. Maybe I was so nervous and scared of that angel that when he said, like, walk down to Gaza, he actually meant, like, talk down to Gaza. Actually, that makes a lot more sense because, like, when Je- uh, Jonah went, he was supposed to go and talk and tell them how they're dirty sinners. So maybe I'm supposed to stay home and like just say, oh, these dirty sinners in Gaza. Maybe that's what, maybe I misheard him. You see how easy it is? You say, Landon, that is an over-exaggeration. I'm sure Philip never thought anything like that. I'm sure that all these people never thought anything like that. But it happens to us all the time. We say to ourselves, God knows that I'm not really social. He knows that I wasn't created to be a social being. So why would he call me to talk to this friend. I mean, I felt it originally, but it just doesn't make sense. You say, well, I'm, I'm not really strong and I'm not really good with my hands, so why would God call me to work? Or I'm not really well endowed with money, so why would God call me to give to this thing? I feel it in my heart, but it doesn't make sense. X, Y, Z isn't really my thing, so it doesn't make sense that God would call me to that. And do you guys want to know the secret? Philip's spiritual gift was not walking either. He was an evangelist. His spiritual gift was talking and being charismatic. But a a pastor just once told me, and it was something that really comforted me, because as much as I, I love doing the job that I do here, sometimes stuff can get a little bit tiring. Sometimes stuff, your ankles start to cramp, and you start to walk, and you think, God, is this really what... Is this really why you've called me here? 
You really call me here to make PowerPoints and to do this and do that? Yes, just because it seems unimportant. Just because your whys turn into wine doesn't mean that it isn't God's call. See, you're supposed to be, don't let your stubborn heart or your tainted mind turn your whys into wines. Keep asking why and see how God answers in his time because he will answer you. You know, the beautiful thing about mundane and unimportant things that God calls us to is they test our perseverance and they test our faith. See, I could go and I could talk to somebody and counsel them for hours. But the minute that somebody says, okay, I want you to sit down with a pen and paper and I want you to plan something really, really long, I'm like, oh man, this is, this is tough. But God calls us, and, and this pastor said this one really important thing to me. He said, 80% of the stuff that you'll do, you won't feel called to do but you got to get through that 80% to get to the 20% that God is going to use you wonderfully. And, and honestly, that, that's what we're going to see throughout this passage. And in Acts 8, 27 through 29, it says, So he started out on his way to meet the Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury in the Kandike, which means uh, queen of the Ethiopians. So he was the treasurer of the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading from Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now I have another question for you guys. Why? Right? Philip is already walking. He's already doing this stuff that he doesn't feel called to do. He's already fulfilling this unimportant purpose that he feels like he's in. And so as he's walking down the road, he just hears the Spirit say, hey man, I need you to keep up with that chariot. He's like, what chariot? Horses just flying by, going back to this, uh, this queen of Ethiopia. This guy's coming from worship. You, I don't know if you guys uh, caught on to this, but this guy was actually reading scripture. He just came from worship. So if you're Philip, and obviously this is not necessarily Philip, but let's, let's think about it from our perspective. If we're in Philip's shoes, we're a little bit more comfortable. We don't like uncomfort. So when the Spirit says, okay, I, I get that you're walking and your legs are cramping, but you need to sprint after this thing, keep up with it, we say to ourselves, God... I'm already walking. I'm already doing this 80% of the stuff that like, I don't really feel called to do so that I could get to that 20%, and now you want me to sprint? Surely it can't be for this guy. I mean, he's reading Isaiah. He's pretty much saved already, right? Like He already knows you. Somebody else can explain this to him, I'm sure. I mean, I heard him. He was reading it as he went zooming by, so why do I have to keep up with him? And see, that's the thing. When we are forced to deal with something uncomfortable. We can tolerate it for a little. But when we have to raise the intensity, sometimes we can turn our whys into whines. See, annoying people are tolerable for an evening. You can have your in-laws over for an evening. <laughs> you can have um, people that irritate you over for an evening, but when they want to hang out every Friday night, then it's a little inconvenient. 
Um, grace is easily given to people when it's not something that, you know, when it's a once and done thing, but when somebody is repeatedly hurting you, grace is not something that we often share easily. I mean, why share the gospel in the first place? Because you think to yourself, well, I'm already walking, I'm already doing this stuff, I'm doing the bare minimum. So can't somebody else do this for me? Can't somebody, I mean, somebody surely can explain this passage of Isaiah to this guy. And not to get all head knowledge on you guys, but I, I think that this is a serious problem in high-thinking theology. When we get into talks about Calvinism and Arminianism and what does it mean to be predestined, we get to this point where we forget that our call is to share the gospel. We get into this deep theology of, well, those who, who he called, he predestined. So that means that the cards are already set. So why do I got to preach the gospel? Why do I got to spread the good news of God if God's already have everything dealt? The answer to that question is, you're a part of it. You're supposed to be sharing the gospel. God wants to put you in this story. He has you on this road for a reason. And we're going to get to that. Don't worry, we're going to get to that. But just remember that as you ask why, you continue to obey and ask why. It's not about not asking why. It's about how. It's about why you ask why. See, it's even asking it there. We're going to continue with Acts 8, 32 30 to 34. It says, this, passage, this is the passage of Scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken for the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, people, who is the prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? Now, typically, we breeze through this, this part because it's like, okay, this is a quote. I get it. He's reading scripture. So he's reading scripture, and then Philip preaches. But I want to implant this into your head. Why this passage? Right, show of hands. Who knows what a eunuch is? Well, I see some hands that are not up, so I'm going to explain it anyway. It's going to be a little uncomfortable, so sorry about that. But I'm going to be as delicate as possible. A eunuch is somebody that had, especially in Ethiopian culture, um, forcefully removed his manhood. And in Ethiopian culture, but most cultures especially, these people would hold higher, um, higher authority, like a treasurer or like a secretary, because they would not be able to interfere with the royal bloodline but they would also be known by what had happened to them. There's a reason why they call him the Ethiopian eunuch and not Jeff the Ethiopian. It's the Ethiopian eunuch because this, this process was painful and shameful, and oftentimes eunuchs, especially if they're in high regard, they're from countries that they have captured, and they made them eunuchs, and they made them high in authority. So then the country that did the conquesting could refer to this eunuch and say, so how does this work with this culture? How do I deal with them? So they've been captured, they've been robbed, they've been depraved, and they've made their identity in their most painful thing that has ever happened to them. This is a man who was unwillingly and painfully deprived of intimacy with anybody, 
He couldn't have a, a wife. He couldn't have children. He couldn't have anything like that. He was, he was robbed of the love of a child, the love of a family, and instead he was given power and position, and it left him feeling empty. And he was known as the most traumatic part of his life. And this is the passage of Scripture that the Spirit called him to read. He was led like sheep to the slaughter. And as lamb before the shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. See, if you're an Ethiopian eunuch at this point, you're sitting here thinking, I want to know that guy. That guy gets it. This, this guy's been humiliated beyond his wildest imaginations. He's been led like a sheep to the slaughter. Nobody can speak of his descendants. He's killed too young. He lost absolutely everything. So tell me who this person is. Well, who is he talking about? So I can get to know him. I want relationship. And guess what? And, and this is the most beautiful part of this. It was the next verse says, Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He started with the, the passage of scripture that talked about how Jesus was humiliated. That talked about how Jesus was deprived of justice. How Jesus was deprived of descendants. Because this guy's looking for a relationship. He's asking, who is this person? But Philip's like, guess what? You asked for relationship, but I'm going to give you new life and victory on top of that. Because the fact is that even though this person endured humiliation, even though this person was deprived of justice, that nobody could speak for his descendants, he was supposed to have no descendants, just locked inside of a tomb, forgotten, buried, gone. And on day five, that was the way that it was. But on day seven, that's not the way it is, and that's not the way it's going to be for you either. That's... Why Jesus? See, people ask why Jesus. People ask why this life. People ask why the gospel. It's because the other gods of that time, this time, and every time in the future are going to offer you unrelatable relationship, false freedom, and fleeting happiness. See, in Philip's time, the gods were Caesar. You know, people would worship their kings. People would also worship, you know, things made out of gold, things made out of stone. They would worship myths. One of the, the funniest things that I find in the book of Jeremiah is there is a god called Marduk who dies every seven years and it becomes an idol for the Israelites. And when God talks to the Israelites and says, look, I will even let your god come back to life every year and you can pray to him to help save you from the wrath that is coming for idolatrizing me. Because they offer you no relatable relationships. We don't die every seven years and then come back. We don't get this, this false freedom and this fleeting happiness from God. See, but what happens is Jesus offers us something better. He offers us his experience as a God-man. He says, I've been humiliated. I've been deprived of justice. You want justice? I am true justice. You want new life? I am new life. You want to have a friend that's been through it. I've been through every single thing that you've been through, yet I did not sin so that you can experience ultimate freedom to a way that you have not experienced before. I died on Friday so that you could live on Sunday with me. It's because Christ lives that we have anything to offer. Why, Jesus? It's because when we look at these passages of Scripture, we look at them like an Ethiopian unit. We look at it and we say to ourselves, I, I remember being humiliated. 
I remember being deprived of justice. I remember that one time that my sin got exposed to absolutely everybody and it hurt deeply down to my core and I was ashamed. I remember wanting to end my life. I remember wanting to do something else. We look and we see this and Jesus says, so was I. But because I live, you won't be that way either. You will live too. Because I live, you will live. Because I have experienced this life and I've overcome the grave, you will have ultimate freedom. Because I live, you will have a joy that surpasses anything that you will ever come in contact with. Any humiliation, any lack of descendants, any capture, torture, deprivation of justice, anything. And still, we look to our gods for comfort. We look to the phone. We look to, call it like I see it, we look to sex. We look to money. We look to power. We look to privilege. We look to everything else for relatability, for freedom, for, for just a small glimpse of happiness. And then when we find Jesus, we think, why not Jesus this entire time? And the beauty of of Jesus is Jesus isn't just for you. See, see, we're going to continue on. It says in Acts 8, 36 to 40, it says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went down on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And, and see, this, this beautiful impromptu baptism, this is oftentimes what this story is talking about. You know, in, in pastoral classes, they'll tell you that this is something that will tell you that you can baptize somebody pretty quickly. You don't have to wait all that long to baptize somebody. As long as they get it, as long as they understand on a deep and intimate level their relationship with Jesus Christ, you can baptize them. But I'm going to ask you a different question. I wonder if you know what question I'm going to ask. Why? Why did the Spirit of the Lord swipe up Philip? Right after the baptism, could it in fact, now I don't know this, but could it in fact be because there was somebody else to walk the rest of that desert road and to proclaim the gospel the entire way that he went? Could it be that the, import, the, that the unimportant stroll that Philip was taking down this desert road in Gaza that the reason why God called him to walk when he's more of a talker, that the reason why God called him to sprint when his feet were bloody and his ankles were hurting, the reason why he was reading this exact passage at the exact right time was because God had a plan the entire time to spread the gospel. See, we ask, why spread the gospel to these little people? Why do it at Temple? Why do it on 4th Avenue North Temple? Why do it at, at Muhlenberg School District? Why do it here? Why put all of your time and effort? You have so many people that say, I want to work at a big church. That's small vision. Big vision is working at a small church and realizing that the spread of the gospel, 
That every small dirt road that you spread the gospel on, every leisurely stroll that you spread the gospel on, every run, every car talk, every time that you mow the grass, every time that you take care of the property, every time that you give money, every time that you do anything here to spread the gospel, it has the potential to evangelize to an entire nation of people and you don't even know it. You don't realize the power that you have when you, when you share the gospel to anybody, to one person. See, if Philip would have turned around said, my, my knees hurt. What's the point of this? I'm not a walker, I'm a talker. If he would have made his wise into wines, he would have never preached to that Ethiopian eunuch. See, that Ethiopian eunuch was a Jew, but he didn't know Jesus. See, he knew Isaiah, but he didn't know Jesus. And so he would go back from worshiping and go back into his same sad life living in captivity. But because he obeyed, because Philip obeyed when he asked why, and he kept asking why, and he kept looking for purpose, God swept him up thousands of feet high and showed him a thousand foot view of everything that just went down. Showed him that, hey, look, you started here on this road, you walked here, you picked up here, and he's going to continue, and he's going to spread it to all of Ethiopia. He has the ear of a queen, You took a little detour. But see, if you get so distracted at your own logic when you ask why, you try to whine your way out of your whys, you could think, oh my gosh, why go to Gaza? Do you see where Philip ends up? He doesn't end up in Gaza. He ends up in Azotus. He doesn't even end up where he was setting out to go. But God will sometimes place you in places where you're not set up to go yet to do just a little thing that has international evangelistic impact. See, when you're bold enough to ask why and you obey God, God will show you that your faith will be rewarded with answers. God will sweep you up and he'll show you that every single painful step that you thought was so unimportant, every single grass, little thing of grass that you mow, Every single little conversation that you have with that really annoying person on a Friday night. Every single time that you hold your tongue. Every time that you practice gentleness. That you love somebody that doesn't deserve it. That you share the gospel with somebody that just doesn't want to hear it. Every dollar that you put in the plate. Every conversation you have with a friend that seems like they're out on a limb, that could have internationally infectious purpose. Because we have a God that when we ask why, he'll sweep us up and he'll show us eventually. I'm not saying even in this lifetime. I'm saying one day he'll, he'll show you and he say, you remember that girl? You remember when you smiled at her when she came into church? Yeah, she was going to kill herself, but then she found Jesus. All it took was just one smile. Yeah, you know that guy? That guy that was just sitting there and, and, and closed off, he was struggling with a secret sin. When you invited him over, he, he stopped doing it that night. That was his first step to asking about who I was. You know, you, you, that, that simple job that you did with, with painting the sanctuary made it look so nice that, that little people will, that little people will just 
they'll, they'll notice. The stuff that you do in the back, like Tammy, like Austin, to do this stuff, it seems unimportant. But that's the 80%. That's the journey. That's the walk that when God sweeps you up and shows you why, has all the impact in the world, has an internationally infectious purpose. You just got to have faith that God's going to use the unimportant. You got to have faith that God is going to spread the gospel. You got to have faith that because Jesus lives, that the humiliation, that the pain, that the, the unimportance, that the boredom that you suffer in this life, because he lives, because Friday came, Because he died and then Sunday came. We have victory and joy and life forever. And it's infectious. That's why. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this, this wonderful message that you've given us. Thank you for the word. Thank you for just teaching us, teaching us to ask why in obedience. God, we can get so caught up in what we understand and and our own logic that we turn your glorious purpose for us into nothing more than nothing more than just a reason to stop walking and to turn around. God, we couldn't possibly know what you have for us. That's why we're not in charge. Thank you, God, for being in charge. Thank you so much for not staying in the grave. Thank you so much for not just leaving us with relationship, but actually giving us victory and joy. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com.